worship with you today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up uh, to Luke 19. Luke 19, uh, we will get there eventually. We're going to do some jumping around before that, but Luke 19 is where we're going to land. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, as Monica said, there's one in a seat back around you, uh, and you can use that one, and you can keep that if you don't own a Bible. Uh, we love giving those away. Um, and so while you're turning there, I'd like to thank our audiovisual team. Um, they come early every week. They make sure that we, uh, can, you can hear the band, that you can hear me. They put stuff on the screen and then magically take it away and then put other things on the screen. Um, they do a lot of work to just make sure um, that our service runs and runs well and runs smoothly, and they have a lot of different responsibilities back there. So thank you. For everybody who's on the AV team, thank you. Uh, if that's something that interests you, if that's a way you'd like to, to serve and get involved, and you might say, well, yeah, that might interest me, but I can't turn my computer on, we will train you. We will get you taken care of. We'll get you. We have a whole training we can put you through to get you done, um, and then we can also have people that can help you uh, and mentor you as you go through that. So if you want to get involved, you can use those Connect cards Monica was talking about uh, if you're interested in that. So we're going to be in Luke um, 19. I want to start this morning uh, with a quote. Uh, Maya Angelou once said, People will forget what you said. They will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Uh, when I was in college, uh, there was uh, I got the privilege to meet and build a relationship with uh, the, the campus chaplain. Uh, his name's David. And David... Uh, there's a lot of things I could say about, about David. And he uh, just had a great influence on my life. And a lot of his influence came from just who he was. Because David uh, is present all of the time. He was a busy guy. So he was in charge of like chapel and like spiritual formation for the whole school, for the undergrad and for the grad school, the seminary. And when you got to spend time with him, even if it was just an hour, he was busy running from meeting to meeting. But even if you had him for an hour... You didn't feel like he was busy. He was just with you. He was present. The clock didn't matter. He was just invested in what you were doing. He was engaged in what you were doing at that moment. He was always present with you, and he cared. He genuinely was concerned and loved his students. Um, and David has this amazing ability to just ask great questions. You know, I could go to him. I, I, would, I would set up a time where I could meet with him so we could wrestle through something, so I could process through something. And I didn't even have to tell him. He, just the questions he asked helped get to the heart of the situation, helped to get to the heart of what was really going on within me. He was just always invested. Um, at a time when I was in college and I was just trying to figure out who I was, figure out relationships, figure out uh, where I wanted to go, who I wanted to be, and it felt like I was getting pulled in a lot of different directions in school, David uh, invited me into his home. He invited me and he hosted a small group for his church. Uh, and though I didn't go to his church, he said, just come and, and be. And just come be present. Just come and rest. Take a night off a week. Get away from school. Get away from the responsibilities. And just come and, and have a meal and just be with people. Um, he invited me in and gave me a place to just rest. Uh, I tell you all of this... Uh, partially because I like bragging on my friends, but also because David exemplifies what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so if you're new or if you're a guest with us this morning, we've been in this series, Tools for Life, where we've been looking at uh, spiritual disciplines, these things, these processes, these activities that we pursue as Christians in light of the resurrection, in light of our salvation. We pursue these things not to try and earn God's favor, not to save us, not to try and make God like us more, but so that we can know God on a deeper level, so we can connect with him on a deeper level. Um, and so we've been walking through these for the last couple of weeks, and this morning we're going to talk about hospitality. Hospitality. And it's my uh, opinion that hospitality is essential to being a Christian. 
Because God is hospitable. Hospitable. And so if we love God, if you are a Christian and you love God and you want to love the things he loves, hate the things he hates, then we need to look at hospitality and see it as something that is part of his character, part of who he is, and invest in that. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to pray and then we will jump in. Uh, So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for another opportunity to gather together. Lord, we thank you for this chance to get together and to celebrate and to rejoice to be equipped, to be challenged, to be reminded that as we go into the world, you have called us to be lights in this world, to be called to be your uh, ambassadors in this world. But God, we can't do that on our own. We can't do that because this world is hard and, and broken and we get tired. And so Lord, we come this morning seeking after you. We come this morning with an expectation that you are going to show up, that you are going to speak to us, that you are going to give, to, to enlighten us. Reveal yourself to us, God. And so, Lord, as we talk about hospitality, as we get into your word, I pray that you challenge us, you encourage us, you rebuke us where we need to be rebuked, and you get us ready to go back into that world and be the lights you have called us to be. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So let's start with this word hospitality. It shows up a couple of times in the New Testament. That's what the word looks like, the top section uh, in Greek. That word is philoxenos. Say it with me. Philoxenos. You guys know some Greek. Look at you. Um, So philoxenos is a compound word. It comes from two different words. Uh, The first half, philo, means friend. Xenos means stranger. So literally speaking, hospitality is to be a friend to strangers. If you think about the hospitality industry, you think about hotels and motels and sometimes a Holiday Inn, and that's the care for strangers. That's the love and care for strangers. So what I want to do, what I like to do to help us kind of figure out what does hospitality actually look like, what does it actually mean, uh, one of the ways I like to do that is to kind of, let's, let's cut, a, cut away the things it's not. What isn't hospitality? Hospitality is not just entertaining, right? It's not just Martha Stewart, homemaking, making flowers look nice, and cooking a perfect lasagna. Those things can be involved in hospitality, yes. Amen. If you're going to have people to your house, maybe run a vacuum once or twice. Clean the dishes. Those things are important when you're hosting people, right? But that's not all that hospitality is. If all we make hospitality to be is homemaking and making the house clean, then we are losing the richness and the depth of this important aspect of our life. Hospitality is also, it's not fellowship. These things are different. Hospitality, like we just said, is friend of strangers. Fellowship is done in relationship with people you already have a connection with, people you already have a a relationship with. And so fellowship is a hope of hospitality. The hope is that hospitality will lead to fellowship, that it will move that way. But at the beginning, these things are different because friend of strangers and the, the openness, the vulnerability you can have with fellowship, those things are different. Hospitality seeks to care for and love the person who is outside of your own comfort zone, outside of your own little world, your own bubble. Now, some of you might say, well, that's just not my gifting. I don't have to pursue that one because this one's not my, it's not in my spiritual, my spiritual gifts. And yes, some are more geared toward this than others. But we can't just write this off as a thing that we don't have to do because we don't feel like we are spiritually equipped for it. Because as I said, hospitality is essential to being a Christian. Because hospitality is important to God. It is wrapped up in His character. It's wrapped up in who He has always been. 
So I want to look a little bit at Scripture and what Scripture has to say about hospitality. One of the clearest uh, examples of and commands from God on hospitality happens in Leviticus. Uh, you don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. Leviticus 19.33 says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Leviticus 18 and 19, uh, God is giving basically the, the way to live to the Israelites. He's giving them commands on how God's people are to live and live differently. To live in a way that through their actions, through their diets, through their worship, through the clothes they wear, people are going to see these people are different. These are some of those Israelites. These are God's people because they live differently. But even more than that, in these verses here at the end, as you go through Leviticus 18 and 19, it comes coming back to, I am the Lord your God. And that is a motivation. It is the why behind this command to love the sojourners, love the aliens, love the foreigners that are in your land, to care for them and to treat them as anyone else, to treat them as someone who is native to the land. The motivation behind that is, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. This is a twofold explanation of why the Israelites were to care for the strangers and the sojourners. One, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. God's people were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They were the outsiders. They were the outcasts. They were slaves. They knew what it was like to be hated and mistreated and abused for being a stranger in the land. And so God here is saying, you know what it's like, so don't do it to somebody else. But that motivation is only going to go so far. Because the more generations removed from that slavery, the harder and harder it is to make a connection with that. And even beyond that, our hearts are wicked. Right? Think about it. When you were in high school, when I was in high school, they still threw pennies at freshmen. When we would have an all-school assembly, the seniors, we would do it in the gym, and like the, they, they would section us all off, and the seniors would chant, Go home, freshmen. And it was just, that's how it was in high school, right? You pick on the freshmen. They're the, they're the new kids. They're the, they're the bottom of the totem pole. And as a freshman, you, you didn't like it. It wasn't comfortable. It didn't feel good. And so you think, man, when I get to be a junior, when I get to be a senior, I'm going to treat them different. I'm going to be a different kind of junior and senior. We weren't. I was throwing pennies at kids. I was chanting, go home, freshman. Because our hearts are wicked. Nothing changes. And so God says, look, you remember what it was like to be a slave. But more important than that, I am the Lord your God. This echoes back to God sending Moses in the first place. When God sent Moses to the slaves in Egypt. Exodus 6.6 6 says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Later on in Exodus 20, when the Ten Commandments are given to the people, the Ten Commandments, that passage doesn't actually start with commandment number one. It starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. This was a reminder. This was a regular thing God reminded his people with. Look, you can trust me. I am for you. I am good. Remember, I brought you out of slavery. Remember what I have done for you. And so going back to that Leviticus 19 passage I read, when it ends with, I am the Lord your God, that's shorthand for remember. Remember me. 
Remember that I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I made a home for you. I provided a place for you. I united you as a people. That's who God is. And so if we're going to be his people, if we as Christians are going to be the kind of people who love the things God loves and hate the things God hates, then hospitality has to be something important to us. The care for strangers, that's a thing God loves. That's a thing that's always he's always been about. And this sentiment is carried throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Romans 12, 9 through 13. I'm going to read the first couple of verses and then 13 is on the screen. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Then you hear that passage, love be genuine, abhor what is evil, love one another with brotherly love, be fervent in spirit, all of these things, this is what it looks like for Christians to be Christians in community, to do life together. And included in that is show hospitality. But it's not just show hospitality, it's seek to show hospitality. We don't wait until the stranger seeks us out looking for help, looking for care and concern. No, it says seek it out yourself. Actively be looking for ways and people to care for. Some translations will say practice hospitality or pursue hospitality. Practice isn't passive. If you're working on your, if you're working on your, you know, you're playing baseball and you're working on your swing, it's not, hey, if I wake up and a batting cage magically appears in my kitchen, maybe I'll take a few cuts. No. You want to get better, you're going to get your butt to the gym. You're going to get into the batting cage. You're going to work at it. Practice is not passive. You have to actively do it. You have to actively be seeking out people to, to show care and concern to. Now, I realize we have introverts in the room, and the idea of seeking out people to build relationships with you, just that thought makes you uncomfortable and your palms are getting sweaty. I know, I hear you, I see you, I love you. We have, uh, we're going to talk about you some more later. I want to help give you some baby steps to get you into pursuing hospitality, because this is something that is for everyone, Okay? Intentionally looking for opportunities to show hospitality. God loves hospitality. He commands hospitality. So we should pursue it. But you see, this call to hospitality, this call to loving strangers, this does not come lightly. But it is important and vital. If you flip to 1 Timothy 3 and the qualifications for an elder, the qualifications for a leader of the church, for a man who is going to lead the church, who is going to be an under-shepherd over God's people, Before it's even able to teach, it says, be hospitable. If you're going to be a leader in God's house, if you're going to be a leader of God's people, you have to be hospitable. And before he even says, you need to be able to teach the Bible, you need to be able to do hospitality is important, is vital to Christianity. 1 Peter 4.9 tells us, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Because again, this call to hospitality does not come lightly. We have to do it without grumbling because hospitality can be hard and can be exhausting. See, at that time, as Peter writes this, people are getting saved left and right. Well, you get saved and then your families were starting to disown you. You were getting run out of your town. Right? If you look in the book of Acts, Paul gets chased from one city all the way to another city, something 25 miles away, by the same group of people because they are so angry he's preaching the gospel. And so people are getting lost. People are getting cut off from their families, cut off from their homes. 
New believers are cast out and they have nothing. They need clothes. They need food. They need a bed. Who's going to provide these things? The church. And so Peter says, do it. Care for one another. Care for the strangers as they show up on a Sunday. Care for the strangers who are cut off from everything. But do it without grumbling. You see, at this point in the early church, the infrastructure to do justice ministry was still getting worked out. Right? There was a lot of responsibility just kind of rested on you build a relationship with somebody and you care for them. There wasn't a set, oh, you need food. Well, we have, a, you know, we have a food bank here. Oh, you need housing. Okay, we have public housing over here. It was just kind of, I need help. And it was on the church to help one another, to care for one another. And that could be tiring. And it could be frustrating. And it could be exhausting. Which is why we have to remember our motivation for doing it in the first place. Because if you leave here this morning with, I have to be more hospitable because the Bible and Pastor Tim says so, you've missed the point. Yes, we are called to be obedient to Scripture. But obedience without love, obedience without joy, obedience without a desire to glorify God, that's just legalism and that's lifeless. Our driving factor can't just be, it's something I have to do. Rather, it's something I get to do. It's a privilege Last week we talked about evangelism, the idea of getting to share the gospel with someone else and seeing it not as a burden, but as a privilege. We are invited to do something that God loves, something that God himself has done in the past. He invites us to take part in. We are invited to reflect him on the earth. And so it is a privilege and joy to show hospitality. And so as we talk about what does this actually look like for us, how do we do this, how do we do this in a broken world, well, if we want to do this in a way that God loves in a way that is going to be honoring to him, let's look to Jesus, right? Jesus, the most hospitable person to ever live. Let's look at how he did it, and let's learn from him. So that's where we're going to be in Luke 19. So let's start in verse 1. It says, He entered, he is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? It says he was a tax collector. It says he was rich. We'll get into those in a minute. And if you have a Bible background, you know he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. As a tax collector, that means he worked for Rome. Not only did he work for Rome, which already puts you on the most hated list when it came to the Jewish people, but most tax collectors were Jews themselves. The Romans figured, well, it'll be easier for them to collect the taxes than if it's a foreigner doing it. So they would find Jewish people who were willing to work for Rome to be these tax collectors. Tax collectors were hated among the Jewish people. And on top of that, the way you made real money as a tax collector, you got a little bit from Rome, but the way you actually made real money as a tax collector was by cheating the people you were collecting taxes from. 
When you collected, you lied. You added on extra taxes. You added on extra reasons to take money from them. And whatever you could take from them that went up and beyond what Rome expected, that was yours to keep. Anything you were able to collect that, wasn't, that was above what, Rome was, what was due to Rome was yours for the taking. And so the fact that he was rich means he was a cheat. Right? Verse 7, he was known as a sinner. Jesus says he's going to his house and everybody said, why would he send, hang out with that guy? It was no secret that he was a bad guy. It was public knowledge the kind of man that Zacchaeus was. But even though he's a bad guy, even though he has a wicked heart in him, when he heard Jesus was coming, he wanted to see it for himself. Did Jesus really live up to the hype? Were the stories actually true? Was the reputation real? And so he climbs a tree so he could spot Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to observe Jesus from a distance. He was interested, but it wasn't seeking anything from Jesus. It wasn't, I want to have a relationship with him. Because really, what can this Jesus provide for me that I can't pay for myself? He was interested in Jesus, but on his own terms. At a distance, with Zacchaeus in control. Safe and clean and not too personal. I think that's how some people like to look at Jesus. He's a good teacher. He's a good man. Yeah, the cross, that happened. Thanks, Jesus. But I'm going to keep you out here. I don't want you all the way into my life. I don't want you to have control over everything in my life. Because that's too messy. I need to have some control. So I'm going to keep you at a distance. Nice and safe and clean. But that's not Jesus' style. So Jesus is walking and he sees him up in this tree. Even in the midst of this crowd, which was apparently big enough that Zacchaeus couldn't even push through, right? Yes, he's short, he's small in stature, but he could have just gone around them. He could have pushed to the sides. But apparently this crowd is so big he needs to climb up into a tree. There's a lot of people and Jesus stops and sees this man crouched up in a tree. I think about climbing a tree. That's something little kids do. That's not something grown men tend to do. And if you were rich, that was a, you were a Roman official, that's a, that's a role of honor and dignity. You're not climbing trees. But Zacchaeus did it anyway. And Jesus didn't wait for Zacchaeus to say something. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to ask him for something. Jesus looked up. Jesus called out to Zacchaeus, and he calls him out by name. He's never met this guy, but he knows him. Jesus was intentional in that moment. Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. But then he does what we all probably would consider kind of anti-hospitality. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. (laughs) Hurry and come down, Zacchaeus, for I must stay at your house today. We got business to get to, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. This was not a chance meeting. Jesus is going to do something important here. And so Zacchaeus is given the option. He has a choice of how he is going to respond. It says Zacchaeus received him joyfully. When you have people invite themselves to your house, just show up at your house, how do you receive them? Do you receive them joyfully? How do you view the role of host Because at this time, it was an honor and a privilege to get to host people, to have strangers, to have sojourners in your home. That was was a a big deal. You yourself were elevated as, as a respectable person in the community when you did that. Jesus is saying here, Zacchaeus, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have a meal with you. I want to spend some time with you. There were very few things at this time in history that were more intimate than sharing a meal with someone. And as I said, Zacchaeus has a choice to make, and so he responds with haste and with joy. 
And in contrast to how Zacchaeus and Jesus are having this interaction, the people grumbled. Why would Jesus want to spend time with him? I can't believe he would share a meal with that guy. Doesn't Jesus know the kind of person Zacchaeus is? Of course Jesus knows the kind of person Zacchaeus is. It's why he wants to have a meal with him. It's why he wants to have a relationship with him. Because he knows he needs Jesus. And so you get to verse 8, and verse 8 happens, there's a gap in the time in that sentence. Right? So he calls him down from the tree, and then they go to Zacchaeus' house. Now we don't know what the meal looked like, we don't know how long it took, what they talked about, but at some point, little Zacchaeus now stands not in a tree, but stands on his own two feet. And he declares his repentance, he declares his faith in God. And he does so by declaring his outpouring of these things. He says, if I have cheated anyone, I will pay it back four times full. Then everything else that I have, I'll give half of it to the poor. I want to give away, I want to care and bless other people. Do those things save Zacchaeus? No, these things are a byproduct of having a relationship with Jesus. The good works don't save him. This is a declaration of Zacchaeus' faith in Jesus. They're a result of meeting Jesus. Because when that happens, the heart change happens. You see, Jesus loves you. That's why Jesus spent time. When you look at Jesus' ministry, he's at tables, he's in roadsides, he's hanging out with sinners, he's hanging out with people that society cast off. People said, I don't want anything to do with you. Jesus said, I do. I want to have a meal with you. I want to spend time with you. Jesus loved these people. Jesus loves you and he loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Because when you seek after Jesus, he's going to show up. And whenever Jesus meets us, whenever salvation happens, whenever life change happens, there's always going to be a heart change. And so if you consider yourself a Christian, but you haven't seen your heart change, your desires change, you're still living in that old life, I would say, ask yourself, have you really actually put your faith in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection? Is it in Him and Him alone that you find salvation and peace and life and hope and rest? Or are you still keeping Him at a distance? Are you still hiding up in the tree? Now in verse 10, Jesus says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Remember in verse 5, Jesus said, I must stay at your house today, Zacchaeus. Here's why. Because Jesus was on a mission to seek and save. While Zacchaeus was the one who ran ahead and climbed into the tree to see Jesus, it was really Jesus seeking out Zacchaeus that day. While it was Zacchaeus who hosted Jesus in his house, it was really Jesus who was the host. It was really Jesus who was in control. He was the one serving and caring for Zacchaeus. While it was Zacchaeus that wanted to get to know, just wanted to observe, Jesus was the one who said, I want to know you, really, truly have a relationship with you. This is hospitality. To seek after someone who has a need and to provide in that moment, in that situation, what they truly, actually need. And like I said, as you read through the Gospels, this is what Jesus did. Most of Jesus' ministry is not in the temple. Yes, he did teach in the temples, but most of Jesus' ministry is during a meal, is at a roadside, is at a party. He had the chance to spend time with people, caring for them, listening to them, and just letting people rest in his presence. He had the ability to care for people in the way they most needed it. Matthew 8 Jesus heals a leper. It's four verses. It's real quick. Jesus interacts with the leper. The leper asks to be healed. Jesus heals the leper. But how does he do it? In Matthew 8 it says, Jesus touches the leper and they are healed. Why? Jesus is God in the flesh. He didn't need to touch this leper. 
He doesn't need to touch them. They could just be healed if he wants them healed. Why does he touch the leper? He touches the leper because in that moment, yes, the leper needed to be healed from this sickness, but that leper needed to be touched because leprosy isolated you. Leprosy kept you far away. Even other lepers didn't want to hang out with other lepers because you might catch it and get it worse. You were isolated and cut off from the world. Human contact, that didn't happen. This person in this moment, yes, they needed to be healed physically, but they just needed to be remembered, reminded, hey, you're a person. And so Jesus touches them. That's the kind of ministry Jesus did. That's what hospitality looks like. It's caring for someone in the way they most need it in that moment. Flip a couple of pages. Go to Luke 23. Luke 23, Jesus is tried and convicted and crucified. Perfection is executed. He had committed no crime, he had done nothing wrong, and yet he hung, stripped, naked, and beaten, and broken, and abandoned. There hung the one who knew no sin, the one who had healed, who had performed miracles, who had taught, who had fed 5,000, who had forgiven sins. God in the flesh hung on that cross, and in doing so, shows us this is what hospitality looks like. The care for strangers. To seek out and provide in that moment what someone truly needs. That's Jesus on the cross. Because in that moment, what humanity needed more than anything else was a savior. Was a way out of our situation. The fact that our sin separates us from God, our rebellion separates us from God, declares us dead, helpless, and hopeless objects of God's wrath. We needed somebody. And so Jesus steps in. Jesus dies on the cross and in doing so absorbs, takes on all of the wrath of God for all of the sins for all time. Justice was fulfilled. Sin was punished through him so that everyone and anyone who would admit their need for a Savior and put their faith in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins, they would find new life and new hope and new identities as the children of God. The gospel is hospitality. We said last week the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died for our sins and rose again, displaying his absolute power and authority over all, so that there is forgiveness and new life for those that believe, both here now and in eternity. Jesus on the cross shows us hospitality. But even in that moment, even as he died for all sin over all time, look down at verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Even at Jesus' weakest, when he is literally dying, he is in the process of suffocating to death, he takes that moment and extends hospitality. A criminal, a stranger, a man who admits he is no hero, he is not moral, he rightly says, I deserve to be on this cross. And crucifixion, that was reserved for the worst of the worst. This guy says, I deserve to be up here. This man is extended hospitality of Christ. In that moment, Jesus cares for the man in the way he needed it most, forgiveness and acceptance into the kingdom of God. 
Hospitality has always been a focus of God. Even while he was dying and he had humanity, he had eternity on his mind, he is present in that moment to show hospitality and grace to a criminal on a cross. That's what hospitality looks like. It's being present in the moment. So if you've been around for this series, you know we're trying to get really practical with these things. We're trying to do things, and I want to give you as many tools and resources as I can to pursue these spiritual disciplines. So I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about and giving you a couple of ways to, to be looking to practice hospitality. So number one is seeking opportunities. It means be present. It means you have to actually put the phone down and just be aware of your surroundings. Pay attention. Pay attention in line at Starbucks. Pay attention riding to L. Pay attention having conversations in church, getting past the easy, how's your week, busy, tired, okay, see you next week. Remember, Romans 12 said, seek to show hospitality. You have to go looking for it. But just because you are called to seek out hospitality doesn't require you to engage every person all the time, every day. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Right? And remember, one of the hopes of hospitality is fellowship. So especially for some of you who might be on the more introverted side of things, you can do this on a little bit smaller scale. Instead of trying to show hospitality to everyone you interact with or see all of the time, Start with one or two people. You find one or two people and you get to know them. You figure out how to care for them. You take that one or that one or two strangers and you work to move that relationship toward fellowship. You have intentional conversations with one or two people and you build that relationship and then you work on somebody else. And while we're at it, let's talk about what does stranger actually mean, right? Hospitality is the friend of strangers. What is that actually, what constitutes a stranger? Because I think in this church, in a church our size, it's easy to fall into a trap. If you're a member or a regular attender here, you can look around this room and you can say, you know what, I pretty much know everybody here. You might be able to hit their names, you might know a couple of things, but do you actually really know them? Do you know their story? Do you know them on a deeper level? Do you have a relationship with them? So even if you've been in this church, which is a smaller church in comparison, even if you've been here for a while, there may be people here in this room that are strangers to you. That's a perfect opportunity, a perfect place to show hospitality. Another simple practical thing is open your space. It's a chance to be vulnerable. Invite people in. It's a chance to show people, to allow people into your world, and you give them the chance to make them comfortable. Because when somebody walks into a new place, they are immediately uncomfortable. It's your job when they walk into your home to make them feel comfortable. That's hospitality. And it's not about how much space you have or how fancy your place may or may not be. Think about the last time someone invited you over. Did you feel good? Did you feel honored because you got invited over to a nice house? Or did you get, feel honored and privileged just because you got invited somewhere? You can do that for someone else. You know how it feels to get an invitation to spend time in someone's home. You have the ability to do that for someone else. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be a giant party. One or two people. You can keep it simple. Get to know people. Have a conversation. Again, if you're on the introverted side of things, what you can do is, hey, I want to have you know, one or two, three people over. We're going to have dinner. We're going to watch a movie or play a game. We're going to wrap up around 9.30 or 10. You put an end game on it, and so then it's not just like people are lingering all into the night. You give an end time, and that kind of usually moves people along. Another way you can show hospitality, share a meal. Again, it doesn't have to be fancy. A pot of spaghetti and some ragu goes a long way. 
right? A couple of sandwiches and some good conversation can be memorable. 99-cent chicken nuggets and a Frosty can impact and build relationships. Why do you think, as a way for Jesus to give us to remember his sacrifice, why do you think he involved food? Because food is important. Food is vital. It shows that you care. It's a powerful way to connect with someone. It doesn't have to be a six-course meal. It can be simple. It can be easy. You can make the food together. That's building relationships. That's caring for someone. Now, I would be remiss if we're going to talk about hospitality and not talk about our own hospitality serving team here at CF. It's a team who serves every week. They greet us when we walk in. They make sure we know about upcoming events. They make sure we get coffee into our hands so you guys can stay awake for the sermon. They answer questions. They make introductions. The goal of that team, the whole mission of the hospitality team is to make those who walk into our doors as strangers feel loved and known by the time they walk out. That's the goal of our hospitality team. So you have an opportunity. Maybe this morning you're realizing, I need to grow in this discipline of hospitality. I need to, I need to learn how to do this a little bit better. What a perfect place to do that. Because the system is already set up for you. You get to do it alongside somebody else. Our hospitality team serve in twos and threes on Sunday. You're going to be here anyway. And it's a safe place you can learn, you can grow, you can ask questions, you can develop your own hospitality in a safe, easy spot here at CF. So again, if you have those connect cards, you want to get more information, you don't even have to commit, you want more information about the hospitality team, go ahead and circle that. Sarah will reach out to you and she'll get you plugged in. Hospitality is about caring for strangers. It's creating a sense of welcoming and safety. It's being engaged in the moment so you can best care for that person. Hospitality doesn't have to be in a home. It can be, and it's good, and it's interesting, and it's a way to invite people into your world, but, and there's something beautiful about it, but it can be done on a bus stop. It can be done on a softball diamond. It can be done sitting on a bar stool. Our God is one of compassion and justice and love. John 14 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. That's what Jesus is doing for us right now. Preparing a place for us. God has been caring for his people since the beginning. He showed us the ultimate act of hospitality by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And even now, Jesus prepares a place for us. A place that is safe and welcoming. A place where we are cared for. Hospitality is essential to the Christian life because in it we get the chance to show the world the safety and the welcoming love of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. We thank you for your word to give us clarity, to, to teach us, to show us how to best live, how to best reflect you to this world, Lord. This call towards hospitality puts us outside of our comfort zones. It challenges us. It, it makes us, some of us, squirm. To think about engaging with people who are not like us, who are different from us, who are outside of our normal group of friends and family. But God, you have been pursuing strangers. You have been calling and loving and caring for strangers since the beginning. You have united us as a people. You have given us your hospitality over and over again. You showed it when sending Jesus on the cross. Lord, be, remind us 
In the same way you reminded the Israelites over and over that you are the God who brought them out of Egypt. Lord, remind us over and over, you are the God who brought us out of slavery to sin. You are the God who showed us hospitality, who now have your son preparing a place for us to welcome us into. Lord, give us welcoming hearts. And Lord, keep our eyes open. Help us to be diligent in seeking out hospitality, not waiting for it to just show up, but giving us the motivation, the courage, the boldness to seek out people to love and care for. God, we thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you continue to do in and through us in this world. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.